Welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here. And today I'm joined by former Dundalk striker David McMillan, the League of Ireland's record goal scorer in Europe, and ex Drada and Shannock Rovers defender Graham Gartland, winner of the league in 2007. We'll be building up to Ireland's double, double header against the USA with Vera Pau having named her squad last Friday and also talking about the latest SSC or Tristy League action and also casting an eye towards the Dublin Derby as well as touching on a couple of stories from the Premier League. But uh, first of all, lads, welcome along. Um, David, how is, uh, obviously you you, um, you announced your retirement uh, a couple of months ago just ahead of the new season, but how's uh, life after football and this new chapter treating you now? Yeah, it's been good. Um, obviously, moved into my my own business in architecture with the T Lane Architects with myself and my brother, and um, yeah, still trying to stay linked in with the football and getting to as many games as I can, and started the B license and things like that. So it's uh, yeah, a new phase of life, but uh, one that I'm enjoying so far. And obviously, football is still being quite far. Given that you're on this podcast, and as you said, uh, you're uh, you're taking the coaching license as well. Um, speaking of uh, Irish football, anyway, uh, Graham, I was speaking to you in the build up to the Latvia friendly uh, last week, and obviously that built into what was a good performance against France in the opening Euro 2024 qualifier. How do you reflect on it now? Do you have that sense of positivity that a lot of people would have about uh, the way Ireland approached it? Yeah, if you look at it in isolation, you have to be positive about the performance. Um, the question marks are obviously around what comes next and, and the games that Ireland should be taking points from. Are we able to do that? Um, you're never going to dominate a game totally against the top opposition like France. So the, the game is based nearly in moments and can you produce quality in those moments? And when you get them, can you take advantage of them? Um, we were unlucky not to take advantage of some of them. Um, I know from obviously we were a threat from set pieces, which has probably been the norm in the last 10 years. Uh, when you consider the likes of Shane Duffy, would have been one of our main goal threats. But we were getting into better areas and working the ball into better areas rather than maybe just being direct. Um, but it was a positive performance and it, it, everybody felt it and everybody was positive towards it. But there's still, obviously, the question mark is can they go on and and um, build on that performance and take re- take a result away in Greece. So it's, it, you know, David's worked with Stephen and I've worked with Stephen and, you know, he just wants to be positive about everything and push everything to, to the, the good side of the football, what he's seen on the day, like, but it has to be backed up with, with positive results as well as performances. Yeah, and those uh, Greece and Gibraltar games coming in June and obviously a very different type of challenge, arguably more pressure on them, given France is probably more of a free hit. But uh, David, as Graham said there, you know, you've a vast amount of experience playing under Stephen Kenny previously during um, what was a great spell with Dundalk, both here and then um, in Europe. I was kind of curious, what's he like as a motivator in the build up to to big games like this? Um, Because obviously we, we know about the... Uh, the culture of football he wants to instill and the philosophy but in terms of actually getting players and staff to buy in how how did he used to do that at Dundalk? I think that's probably Stephen's biggest strength is, is being able to motivate his players but probably for the France game there wasn't much needed to be said I think any player would, would dream of playing that game against some of the, the best players in the world and um, I think the performance showed that that you know everybody the energy in the stadium even from fans um, players as well so as you said, a lot rides on on the summer now and the, the big games that are to come and, and where we expect to get points and, and hopefully put a good showing in the group. I think when the group was drawn, everybody thought it's going to be very tough, but it's these games, particularly against Greece and Gibraltar, that we want to go and show that we're a good side. And um, I think that's where, where Steve will learn his keep and, and be able to motivate the guys for those games. 
Yeah, and as a striker over the two games between the Latvia and France games, what did you make of Evan Ferguson's? Uh, I suppose the way he's been, he's been uh, integrated into that uh, into that forward line. Obviously, he scored against Latvia, but the uh, France game was obviously going to be tougher going given the opposition. But uh, he seemed to hold his own still. Yeah, very tough game. I think he's up against Upamenko and and Kanate. It's not going to be an easy an easy day, particularly when service is going to be limited. But you know, he battled hard and put himself about and. I think he'll be delighted to get off the mark against Latvia and um, you know a tidy striker's goal. So he he'll be pleased with that. And look, he's at such a young age. He's we don't want to put too much pressure on him at, at eighteen. And he's absolutely flying with Brighton. Obviously missed the game at the weekend, but hopefully be back during the week. And um, yeah, it's great to see such a young lad doing so well. And and hopefully he can build on it. Yeah, hopefully that is the case. But anyway, let's turn our attentions to the SSE or Tristy League Premier Division. So on Friday night, Cork City and Drawdy United drew 1-1. Ali Gilchrist's own goal cancelling out uh, Rory Keating's headed opener. And then Shamrock Rovers finally off the mark in terms of wins, uh, winning 4-0 away at 10-man Dundalk. Robbie Benson sent off just after the half hour mark. And then Shells and Derry, that was live on RT2 and the RT player. And Derry City won 1-0. Shells were down to 10 men. We'll get onto that and also what Damien Duff said afterwards to uh, Tony O'Donoghue and then St. Pat's also put a bit of uh, poor form behind them with a 3-0 win over UCD and then on Saturday Bohemians continued their own great start to the season with a 1-0 win at Sligo Rovers late header from Novak to decide that but let's listen to Damien Duff Shelburne manager now he was speaking to Tony O'Donoghue after the defeat to Derry City but in relation to the second yellow card for Paddy Barrett. So this is what he had to say. Damien, how disappointing is that? Because after going a goal down, it's probably fair to say you were the better team, certainly in the first half. Uh, yeah, for sure. I think we started well for the first 60 seconds. Um, after that, listen, they control the game, I'd have to say, for 20-odd minutes or so. Um, they've scored a set piece. Uh, we'll be feel a bit... Uh, upset with that one because we know we always they always have quality. Rory sets us t- teams up. They always have works at pieces. After that, yeah, we caught back in the game. Um, some good chances, but the sending off obviously kills. It makes it difficult in the second half. He, Paddy got a, a yellow in added time in the first half. Probably didn't need to, um, but then the second one was very debatable, wasn't it? Absolutely. Listen, it's probably subjective. People might have their opinions on it. I don't think it helps when uh, coaches are coming off, walking through the tunnel at halftime and influencing. Uh, uh, officials that you know Paddy's next foul he has to go off I didn't think it was a foul I thought McGonagall tried to back into him Paddy's come round the front because he's a big strong boy and he's got punished for that second yellow red card game over um, it's not acceptable um, but listen because if, um, if that's a foul the block which happens in every corner that they did for their goal probably should be a foul as well then yeah uh, listen we try and do that it's big boy football blocks on set pieces you know so people do it and hats off to Rory scored off a work set piece so brilliant stuff but again it's a, a refereeing decision that I don't accept I don't accept the, the standard of refereeing in this country and uh, listen we'll have to move on with it I don't want you to get more than uh, the yellow card that you did get but it seems to be a trend in, in games there are more yellow cards more red cards this season it seems uh, I believe so. Uh, I think there was an article, article a couple of weeks ago. Um, yeah, listen, we're let down again. It's just a poor, poor decision. I don't know what did he be seeing at times. And uh, listen, it's not just me saying it. Uh, the fans in the stadium, whether it be home or away, I'm sure Rory has said it many times himself. Other opposing managers, coaches, so it's not acceptable. Yeah, of course, yeah. And listen, we're trying up the standards. The the fans, amazing in every ground, not just Shelburne fans. Every ground in the country, to sell out week in, week out. Standards are going through the roof. Referees need to come with us. Need to come with us. 
Thanks, Damien. Cheers, Tony. All right, so that is Shelburne manager Damien Duff speaking to Tony O'Donoghue after the defeat to Derry City. He was talking about Paddy Barrett's second yellow card, which was his arm kind of swinging out in a challenge with Jamie McGonagall. And uh, he wasn't the only manager also that was uh, unhappy with the refereeing <laughs> decision. Stephen O'Donnell, Dundalk manager, was also unhappy with the Robbie Benson red card. But we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, Graham, on what he said there in regards to the standard of refereeing in the league, do you agree with it from what you've seen um, across the last few years? Yeah, I don't think uh, I'd agree with Damien probably on it a lot. I think myself and David probably when I was playing in the league back when I played, now we probably had the same gripes as well. So I don't think this is just a new thing. Um, we would have went full time in the 2000s and a lot of the refs uh, like would have probably struggled to come with us as well at that stage. And I think at this stage, they're probably similar. Uh, that's not the pile in on the referees. Um, it's always been an issue, especially the opening 10 games. I always find at the start of every season, they're probably giving a mandate to crap the clamp down on certain incidents and certain things. And what comes about from that is is a lot of yellow cards, a lot of red cards for stuff that probably later on in the season won't be punished. Um, so I'd agree with Damien. I think Damien's frustration comes from like Paddy Barrett and David's a centre forward and, and you're, 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 you're fighting for the ground off the kick out. And when the centre forward tries to back into you as a centre back, you nearly let him walk backwards and then you try and step around the front of him. That's what Paddy Barrett does. What he does then is to stop the, the striker from coming back around the front, he puts his arm out to say to the striker, well, if you want to come back around the front of me, you have a bit more of a distance to travel. I don't think Paddy Barrett swung his arm and and I think he's put his arm there and obviously then there's contact and that leads to a second yellow. And I think it's just about the battles that go on between centre-backs and, and centre-forwards about holding the ground for, for um, kick-outs and winning headers. I think a couple of minutes later, Doherty has a kick out a coil right in front of it on the halfway line. And Doherty doesn't get booked, he gets away with him. And then Damien subsequently gets a yellow card. So the frustration would be high is that there's no consistency with it. Um, and that's the frustration. In, in fairness to Paul McLaughlin, he probably does get a decision right on at the very end when Shells are screaming for the penalty and Kyle Roberts goes down the box. And he doesn't give the penalty, you know, where it would have been probably easy for him to go, well, I haven't done Shells any favours here tonight, so I'll give them a penalty. He hasn't done that. Um, and he's made the right call on that, but it doesn't negate the fact that he's probably made the wrong call on Paddy Barrett and then obviously subsequently made the wrong call and booking Damien Duff for a mistake that he has made and not booking Doherty. Yeah, and David, similarly on that uh, on that second yellow card incident, um, and obviously which then resulted in uh, Paddy Barrett getting sent off. What do you make of it? And then also the wider question of the standard of refereeing in the league. Where do you stand on it? Yeah, I, I agree with everything Graham said there. I think I've played with Paddy. I've trained with him on a daily basis. He's a physical player. He wants to get touch tight. He wants to get involved with his centre forwards. And I think. You know, Paddy's done brilliantly to get in front of the man and exactly what Graham said, there's probably a little bit of contact there. If the referee feels that that's a foul, I, I don't have a problem with that. I think you've got to read the situation then and realise we don't need to give a second book in here. Um, there's absolutely no need to send the player off. And I think that's the frustration. I know you, you're going to speak about the Robbie Benson one as well. I think it's the same feeling there that, you know, everybody in the stadium felt, yeah, maybe a yellow card here, but there's, there's no need to send off the player. And I think that's the frustration for players to see games changed on on tiny little moments that that there isn't a, a real need to get involved um 
I went early in the season out today. They meant to watch Bohemians and, and Dundalk. And I think there was 11 or 12 yellow cards. And I came away thinking from the game, I didn't see a bad challenge. Now, there was maybe two or three where there was sort of, um, you know, cheeky pullbacks and, and the ref has to give a booking. But you're coming away thinking there could have been a player sent off in that game for absolutely no reason. I think that's where the frustration is that we're seeing it even in the Premier League now, in the English Premier League, that the referees are letting a little bit more go. And I think we could probably follow suit in, in that regard and, and try and let the game flow a little bit more. And um, and the little niggly fouls, they don't have to be yellow cards because referees put themselves in a situation then where they've got a tricky decision to make in the le- later in the game that they don't have to make. Yeah, and the red card at the point that it happened, uh, Derry City were leading 1-0 uh, through a Ryan Graydon goal. And uh, of course, Shell's played quite well in, in, in certain ways, maybe without the without the end product and obviously as the game wore on after that with uh, the disadvantage of uh, being down being down to 10. Um, Graham, Derry's performance, uh, what did you make of it and also the long-term impact of Alan Reynolds's departure as well as, as assistant? Yeah, he's been brilliant for Rory um, and obviously Rory taking his first job so someone that experienced Alan Reynolds behind him, he's uh, he'd be... <laughs> He'd be a bit uh, mad, Alan, like, you know, would have played against him years ago and even uh, come up against him a few times. And he's um, he'd be a good character, Alan, a lot of time for him. But obviously he has personal reasons that he wants to go back to Warford. But Rory would, have, Rory would have leaned heavily on him, and especially in his first couple of seasons there. And he's been vital to Derry's success of late. Um, there he had 50, 57% possession, which you'd imagine is probably a little bit higher because of the extra man. He created a good few chances. It was a well-worked set piece. He got a block on, I, I'm not sure who the player was for Shells. He got a block on him and then Raiden just pulls around the back and he gets a tap in. Well, not a tap in, he, it's a good finish, uh, six yards out. Um, but they did create a good few chances. But they've shown that, that dogged. And it wasn't a, probably a great night for football all around the league with the weather. Um, the pitch looked heavy at Talcott, but... They were they were direct at times, Derry, and it worked for them. The, the chance in the first minute comes off just a long ball down the pitch. It's a header through, and McGonagall goes through. I think Luke Bourne, or I'm not sure who clears her off the line, but McGonagall obviously is straight through. So a couple of the chances came from just being a little bit more direct. And they're shown that they're probably pragmatic in terms of tough place to go and play football at times, Talca, with, um, with the, obviously the pitch and the weather on the evening. But shells are a tough nut to crack as well. Uh, they had similar shots on goal to each other. Uh, so it showed the shells are still a threat, but they probably are missing Boyd up front. Um, he did a great chance with Moyle, and when he chops inside, gets his shot away. I think Cairns makes a save. And uh, I'm not sure who's the one following up. Levy, I think Levy's the one following up and puts her over the bar. So it was an exciting game in, in, in that sense. But um, there you are showing that they're, they're digging out results as well as obviously some of the games where they're winning comfortably as well. Yeah, and as I said, Reynolds uh, expected to link up anyway with uh, Keith Long at Waterford. It hasn't actually been officially announced yet, but it should be uh, coming soon anyway. Um, and he would have had to send off in that game. But uh, in the uh, in one of the other games on Friday night, of course, Shamrock Rovers getting back to winning ways um, at the seventh uh, attempt this season. 4-0, 4-0 at Dundalk. And before we listen to Stephen Bradley and talk about the Shamrock Rovers side of it, uh, it's a heavy defeat for Dundalk, David. And of course, as you mentioned, uh, the the red card for Robbie Benson probably now they were they were losing one nil at that point, but it obviously had a detrimental impact in terms of their attempts to try and get back into it. Yeah, I was at that game on on Friday, and um, yeah, Dundalk actually started the game pretty well, and um, would have felt they were probably the better side for the opening maybe twenty minutes or so, and 
a well worked goal by Rovers in fairness that Dan Cleary puts a, a great ball in for, for Gaffney around the back stick and he finishes it well and Rovers were a threat you know Johnny Kenny and, and Gaffney were playing together front and they kind of work well together you know Johnny Kenny looks to get in behind and always testing your back four and, and Gaffney's just got you know he's a clever player he drifts into good areas and a bit of guile and they were causing problems but Dundalk probably felt they were well in the game even at 1-0 down they had started well and probably a bit of a sucker punch to go behind but the red card certainly changes everything then with with Benson sent off and as I said it was, it was probably and that, you know the ref didn't need to make that decision and um, you know Rovers made it 2-0 before half time and, and to be honest I think that was game dead and buried at that stage and uh, Dundalk huffed and puffed in the second half but it was always going to be difficult and, and Rovers sort of ramped it up and, and got two more in the second yeah, and Dundalk have Sligo next. Um, what have you made of uh, the start of this season anyway? Because uh, the first couple of games were a little bit tricky and in terms of the results that actually came out and then they seemed to pick themselves up up until this result. Yeah, they had a good spell the last time. They had sort of three games in a week that they picked up good results and um, sort of what was a slow enough start started to look promising, I think. Friday's game against Rovers will be a, a kick in the teeth, but uh, I don't think O'Donnell would have been too disheartened by everything that happened when you consider the red card. And um, I think he'll he'll feel they were performing well and, and they gave it their all. So it's one of those that you just have to to let it go quickly and move on. And there's three games this week again with the, with games on Friday, Monday. So uh, it's a big week for everyone in the league, but but certainly for Dundalk to try and um, yeah, as you said, try and get back to winning ways against Sligo. Yeah, a big week for Shamrock Rovers, of course, as well, with starting off with the, the derby on Friday against Bohemians. Let's listen to Stephen Bradley. I've been saying it for weeks that the performance has been there and I felt uh, the scoreline tonight, I think that was coming for, for quite a number of weeks. It could have happened in the last uh, two games. Comprehensive win in the end, even though they had Benson sent off. I think you were pretty much in control. I think you'd agree. Yeah, I think we were in control from the start. Um, like you said, when we went, got, went out to 10 men, I felt we we, uh, we obviously took over uh, completely. Um, but I thought we were very good from the start. How did you block that noise out? We were talking about it at the Shelburne game where one of your players looked a little bit peeved with something said from the crowd and John Hall went up and started talking to them. Yeah. How did you block that noise out then, from even from your own supporters? I know, look, we, there was 850 fans in Shelburne. I was one fan, like, you know. Um, our fans have been incredible for us. Uh, you see the support we've had in Tallis Stadium this year, you see the support away from home. They understand what they're looking at. They're not silly, you know, they know that the performance has been good. Um, so it's been fine when you look at all the stats from the start of the season. Uh, we're number one in every category, like, you know, so that tells you we're, we're, we're right there. So uh, there was never any panic. And, and when we sat down and went through it last week as a group, we, we knew we were in a good place. All right, that is Shamrock Rovers manager Stephen Bradley after that uh, 4-0 win over Dundalk. Graham, of course, that consigns the whole uh, winless starting to the you know dustbin of history for, for this season anyway. But just in time as well, as we said, there's the derby at Daly Mount Park, which is going to be a massive test. Obviously, form sometimes goes out the mm. window there. So it's uh, it was timely enough for, for yeah, Rovers on that front. Like you said, I think Stephen had touched on it and they had been playing well. Like the... the, the other than the court game where they probably didn't defend well for the four goals, they have been performing well in the games. I've been at a few of them where I'm thinking how do you have not won that have come away with a victory. Again, goes back to Stephen had touched on it probably a month ago about the refereeing and the, the whole Estonia thing. And now obviously with when Damien says it, it heightens it again. So that again, Stevie O'Donnell would be a bit annoyed with the Benson sending off. And that, that's something that Shamrock Rovers have had to go through at the early part of the season. Going into the Bowes game, it's probably the most uh, anticipated derby in a long, long time, considering where Bowes are. 
you know, they're sitting top of the league. They've won the last four games. They've only conceded five goals. They've scored 12, you know, so they're in a good they're in a good place. Like, and to go to Sligo on a Saturday and pick up a, a late goal uh, would, would do that confidence a world of good. And they'll be flying high going into this. But Shamrock Rover, these games isn't about probably sometimes, you know, playing nice football. It's about just grinding out results because it, it can be hectic. And it's similar to what we said about Ireland game. Just who can play in their moments, who can just settle the game down for five minutes and produce a bit of quality. Um, and whichever team can do that on the night will come out with the win. But um, really looking forward to this one, actually. I think it's going to be a cracker of a game. Yeah. How do you feel they match up tactically? Yeah, I think with Rovers playing their 3 5 2, and obviously with the two up front, um, it, it can be a case where they're, they're matched up evenly in, in midfield if. if in terms of three in midfield, and then it's about which fullback breaks out to do a wing back, and what channel then is covered by Bowes, and uh, and how the midfielders get over and screen the front two. Uh, if if Bowes play with two up front, which is Afalabi and um, who's the other lad? Uh, Afalabi officer and Akintunde. Akintunde, that's the one. Like, can they run and walk into the channels against Rovers? Rovers' pace in the team is probably at their back, in the back line. Uh, the three lads at the back are really, really quick, but Lopez due to come back in. And obviously, Kenny giving them pace at the front end. But the midfield battle will be interesting. Buckley might come back in. Adam McDonald has been fantastic. But the, the standout for me for Bowles has been Ali Coote. I think he's been fantastic. He's been the driving force from midfield, pushing them forward. Um, so, like I said, maybe a yeah, a 4-4-2 or a 4-3-3 against a 3-5-2 with Rovers playing actually with two up front and three in midfield. So it makes for an interesting tactical battle. Yeah, and uh, 10 points the difference. Obviously, we're talking just seven games into the season. It'll uh, the, the, it'll, the table will settle down after a while. I think, as you said, often, Graham, um, after 10 games or so, we'll have a better idea. But at the moment, as it stands, David, 10 points between uh, Bohemians and Shamrock Rovers. Um, obviously, the pressure then is probably more on Rovers on that front, even at this early juncture. So from Bo's point of view, is there an element of a slight free hit to it in terms of you know, not uh, overly having to go for it, even at this early point of the season? Yeah, probably the pressure is on Rovers, certainly, but, um, you know, they'll be buoyed by the win up in, in Oriel last week. So it, it does make for a cracking game. Bows are probably, you know, they would have not anticipated to be, you know, three points ahead at this stage. And as you said, 10 ahead of Rovers. So that does put big pressure on Rovers to go and win the game. They don't want to fall any further behind, even at this early stage. But um, it does set up for, for a juicy clash on Friday and um, it, it definitely probably is pressure on Rovers to, to try and get the win but um, they won't be faced by that you know that they, they've won three titles in a row they're, they're used to pressure and in fairness to them you know they, they've delivered year on year so it's a different challenge this year and it's certainly a derby that everyone will be looking forward to. Yeah, and uh, just on Sligo as well, still fourth in the table on nine points level with Drada as well. And uh, that's off the back of that defeat to Bohemian. So I suppose, David, it does show sort of the that midfield mix is going to, is going to, or the, sorry, mid table mix is going to change. Uh, uh, I suppose it's, it's going to, Sean Grovers are probably going to climb out of that. Um, but it seems really, really competitive there in the middle because there's so many teams just really close to each other. Yeah, I think the, the results have, fluctuate a week on week you can't quite tell who's where at the moment and you know I watched the Sligo Derry game a couple of weeks ago and Sligo were very very impressive and the game on Saturday night by by all means was probably a scrappy enough game in tough conditions I think to go there and, and nick a win I think Bowes will be 
absolutely delighted with that. Deki Devine will be so happy, um, particularly a set piece late in the game. It's the perfect way to win it, really, um, when things aren't going perfectly. And a disappointment for Sligo, but they have been, you know, they have some good players. They've been very impressive, I think, this season. So um, John Russell will be disappointed, but he, he won't be too disheartened. Yeah, and another couple of your former clubs, Pats and UCD, were uh, up against each other as well. And Pats had been on a poor run, but uh, just I think maybe it was the, the right fixture for them at home and a 3-0 win with Chris Forrester scoring a couple of goals either side of Jake Mulraney. Um, again, similar, I suppose, to Shamrock Rovers, very timely. Yeah, I think obviously they had a bit of a poor run, particularly the defeat up in Oriel, but you know, the 2-2 at Rovers was a, was a decent result in Talad back that up with it with a comfortable win against UCD they'll be they'll be pleased and um might see them motoring again you know there's a very good squad there in Richmond Park so it's just trying to get it to gel and get them working and um you know a couple of bounces good results so you know and then in the next week and those three games could change everything for St. Pat's and but yeah they look they look very comfortable obviously a mistake for the Mulroney goal but by the UCD keeper but in general they look comfortable and Forrester, you know, with a brilliant finish for the third goal, a little dink finish, and, and they look strong. They have plenty of other chances. I think that they'll feel they want to get the likes of Tommy Lonergan up scoring goals, Owen Doyle back scoring goals. And if they do that, I think, um, you know, they'll, they'll be difficult for every side in the league. Yeah, as I said, that whole mid-table mix, um, Pats are only three points off. and They're eighth at the moment, uh, three points off Dundalk, who are third. So it just shows how uh, competitive it is there. Um, Graham, Cork City and Drada, so they couldn't be separated. One-all draw. Uh, Rory Keaton scoring the opener with a header but then um, a very unfortunate own goal um, off Ali Gilchrist uh, which just looped over the goalkeeper so uh, Cork will probably look at this as a slight missed opportunity not because it's Drada because um, Drada have been really good and you know are in a good position on the table but more so because I suppose the nature of the goal that was conceded Yeah exactly it was a really well worked well Keaton has been probably the informed striker this season, he's been excellent for Cork. I have to say, I watched him even in the Tala game and he was brilliant. He was really good. He gets across people. He's he's really strong in the air. He has he has a leap, but he, he has this ability where he can hang in the air for a little bit long. And he does that for the goal. It's a great ball in from Aaron Bulger, who's come back in after the injury he got in um, Tala Stadium. And uh, he just floats a ball in and, and Keating is up early and stops the defender jumping and nearly on the way down, he heads it in. It's a really um, brilliant play from him. But it was just a sort of a hopeful ball in from Markey that swings it in on his left foot as he's falling backwards. And Gilchrist doesn't know what's behind him. So he just swings a bit. He's right foot out of maybe if he, I'm not sure if he goes with his right or his left foot and the keeper's on his way out to keep kneeling down, putting his hands in and it loops over him. But... Um, like you said, I think the the fact that that was just before half time. If they had a went in with with a one goal lead, shooting into the shed end with a one goal lead going into the second half, um, I think even at one all, Cork would expect it to maybe create a few more chances going into that end. They had a couple of ones go across the goal. I think they had one cleared off the line, if I remember rightly as well. So they they did push to try and get the winner. So you're right. You probably feel that it's um. It's two points dropped, just taking the draw. But they've, they've been excellent this year at times in, in the games. And like I said, I think uh, Keaton up front has been re- a real handful for a lot of the defenders in the in the league this season. 
Yeah, we'll talk about the first division a little bit later on. A lot of intriguing results there. But before that, um, the Ireland women's team are continuing their uh, their preparations for this summer's World Cup debut. And uh, they've got two massive tests against the United States coming up. First on the 8th of April and then on the 12th. So this the first game in sa- on Saturday is taking place in Austin. And uh, both games are going to be live on RT2 and the RT player. There was a little bit of a worry about Katie McCabe. Um, she picked up an injury during the Champions League match uh, that Arsenal were involved in last week and was seen on crutches. But uh, she's recovered in time, uh, scored what was a brilliant winner against Manchester City. If anybody wants to, well, actually, Graham, seeing as you reacted there, like it was a brilliant goal. Oh, brilliant, yeah. She just like, she takes it from the right-hand side, opens up on her left foot and smacks it into the top corner. The power she hits it at, and it's it's, it's only going one place. And the celebrations after were fantastic. Everybody got involved. I was thinking she was only in a boot a week ago, and then she's going and doing that. So, uh, yeah, it was an unbelievable goal, yeah. Yeah, and uh, three new faces in the squad. Uh, Piedmont United's Tara Hanlon. Then there's Alan McAvoy of Shamrock Rovers as well. And then um, Sophie White, uh, Lewis Keeper as well. And there are a number of injuries at the moment. Neve Fahey not included. Chloe Mustaki, Ellen Malloy, Jessu, uh, Leanne Kiernan, and also Megan Campbell unavailable for personal reasons as well. And in total, five domestic player base players called up. Three from what is a very impressive Shamrock Rovers outfit. But uh, let's, let's just listen to Vera Powell. She was speaking to Tony O'Donoghue at the press conference last week after naming the squad and she was discussing first facing tough opposition like the USA which was a trend of what they did in the build-up to the World Cup qualifiers picking strong opposition to go up against and not worrying too much about the result and focusing on performances and building and then also she talked about uh, Katie McCabe's injury but as we know uh, Katie McCabe as uh, Graham has outlined there <laughs> made a miraculous recovery and uh, scored a brilliant goal. You have to pull yourself out of your comfort zone to the highest level um, so if we get a bad defeat then of course that we, we don't want that and of course that will hurt us but better now then uh, in the first game at the World Cup. How did you feel personally when you when you saw the tackle and you saw her having to leave the field? Yeah, of course, <laughs> very worried. Uh, the only thing that I thought was like let it let it not interfere with her World Cup because she deserves it so much. And Ireland deserves it. So that is Ireland manager Vera Powell speaking ahead of uh, their journey now towards uh, the United States, where they're going to be playing in Austin and then Missouri. First game, as I said, both games are going to be live in RT2 and the RT player coverage. <laughs> For uh, Saturday's game in Austin starts at seven o'clock here and uh, kick off then half an hour later. But uh, there were also midweek results uh, last week in the SSC or Tristy League Women's Premier Division and Bohemians beat DLR Waves 3-0. P-Mount United lost 4-1 to Shelburne, so Shelburne bouncing back from their defeat at Galway United. Treaty United and Cork City drew 1-1. Shamrock Rovers continued their great start to the season with a big win, uh, 2-1 victory over what is a, an excellent Wexford side and then Athlone lost 2-1 at home to Galway United and Galway again um, this is the second week in a row where they've uh, picked up a great result against one of the, the big hitters and at the moment P-Mount United top of the table on 12 ahead of Shells and Shamrock Rovers on 10 and uh, Galway are fifth at the moment on uh, nine points and uh, uh, in the first division as I said earlier we're the men's first division and um, Galway United, again, seven wins from seven uh, after a 3-1 victory at Atlone Town. Cove Ramblers beat Bray Wanderers 2-1. That's Bray's first defeat of the season. And Cove continuing their great start. 
And uh, one of the eye-catching results, Waterford thrashing Finn Harps 7-1, and then also Wexford and Treaty United drew 1-1 on Friday. Saturday then, Longford Town with Josh Georgie scoring twice, beat Kerry FC 2-0. So Kerry's still waiting for a first win, um, and Longford, uh, that's their second of the season. Um, first, though, Graham, the Keat Long era couldn't have uh, got off to a better start down in Waterford. Yeah. I mean, if you want to get, a, you know, he might have been happy with a, with a scrappy 1-0, but uh, to, to come away with a 7-1 win, um, that's, a, that's a good platform to work off. And obviously, as we said, he's going to be getting a little bit of extra help as well uh, down the road when the Alan Reynolds uh, move uh, as assistance is confirmed. Yeah, it's, it's an unbelievable start. Like you said, you, you couldn't have, couldn't have wished for more. I think there was seven seven nil up as well in the eighty first minute, and Finn Harp scored a consolation goal. And now um, Dave Rogers would be upset about the manner of defeat. But for, from Keith Long's point of view, he couldn't have he couldn't have asked for more. It's, it's a fantastic. They they have a game in hand now, which is against Treaty. That could put them back up to 14 points, which would be seven points behind Galway. Um, you have to play them another few times as well. So they'll feel that right, it's a great start for long. And can they build on that momentum and try and catch Galway at the minute? They're, they're seven points clear of anybody. Uh, Cove have had a great start. They're sitting second on 14 points. So just shows you the, the pace that Galway United have set at the start of this season has been fantastic. But like you said, we're long going in there. Um, they win that game in hand. They, they leapfrog Bray into sec into third, and uh, go level on points with Cove, and then see can they actually kick on and try and catch Galway United and have a have a tight race in the in the first division. Yeah, and uh, on the other side of that seven one result, David, I suppose from a Finn Harps point of view, I mean, obviously there was going to be a good bit of uh, transition after Ali Horgan. Um, after he um left after uh, I think what was it eight years in charge and. It's uh you know the the six points at the moment, and given that they were the team that dropped down from the Premier Division, there might have been a little bit of expectation, but maybe that should have been tempered as well because there's going to be a huge amount of turnover within the squad. Yeah, there has been a big turnover in players there in, in Finn Harps, and um, obviously Dave Rogers has gone in, and it's been probably a difficult start to the season for them. But um, look, it's 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 only early days, and and they won't be happy going down to Waterford and, and being thrashed and. Uh, hopefully they can bounce back in, in their next game. Um, for Waterford, obviously a, a brilliant result and a great start for for Keith. He'll be he'll be absolutely thrilled. And as you said, with Alan Reynolds to come in, I think that's a strong team, and they'll be doing their utmost to try and catch Galway. It's um, it makes for an interesting one. Waterford's form going into the end of last season, you know, they're a little bit off the pace, and they just you know really got motoring. So they'll be trying to do something similar again and see can they they catch Galway. Um, but credit to Galway, they've they've been they've been brilliant. Yeah, and uh, as you said, Graham, the Cove Ramblers, um, you know, would have been bottom of the first division last season, but they're kind of flying high. Bray Wanderers, they might have lost to Cove, but uh, under Ian Ryan as well, it's been a it's been a really solid start for them. So it's turned that first division table a little bit upside down. Um, other than obviously Galway flying high, and we expect Waterford to push on, but the yeah. that the from third down, it's maybe the expectation is different from the reality. Yeah, like you said, even at Lone sitting in fifth as well. Like so, uh, James Keddy, you know, Exford is doing a really good job as well. So, uh, like Longford, who would normally be one of the stronger in in that division, and and would have expectations of coming up there, sitting in seventh. Like you said, with Dave Dave Rogers trying to just change the club around, 
They're trying to bring in more home-based players, trying to promote more youth players with the work that Kevin McHugh is doing in the academy up there. So that's going to take time. It's not just going to click straight away. Cove have been fantastic under Shane Keegan. They've made Cove a really tough place to go. Uh, again, that would have been a, a really tight game against Bray and they, to come out on top of that. And obviously Ian Ryan's decision to leave Wexford to go to Bray uh, turned a lot of heads at the time because he, everyone felt Wexford were on the up. But with, with the promises that Bray gave, maybe that he can run it his way and get, implement what he wants to do there. You can see that they're building as well. They're sitting on 12 points. Um, but like you said, it, it, the potential is probably in Warford to go and kick on and challenge Galway. But at the moment, it's it's Galway. And if they keep on this upward trajectory, seven wins, like in fairness, they've only conceded three goals. They scored 19. So it's, it's fantastic start from them um, and if they can keep that going it looks like they'll be the team to, to maybe get promoted out of that division and uh, as champions yeah and before we go just turning attentions to the Premier League so Manchester City went into the game against Liverpool on Saturday which was the uh, the early half 12 kickoff without Erling Haaland who was up in the stands uh, beside his uh, father who of course Roy Keane would have uh, got to know a little bit on the pitch many many years ago but uh that would have been seen as a big challenge because those games between you know or between city and liverpool have always been um, have always been uh, tight and clock has occasionally got the better of guardiola however city then trashed them 4-1 um but then again later on uh, in the 3 3 o'clock game then arsenal took care of the challenge of Leeds. So the gap remains eight, albeit with City having a game in hand. David, looking at it, I mean, Arsenal keep ticking over, um, but they're going to be playing Liverpool now this coming weekend. And yet City don't seem to be stumbling. They've got past the challenge of Newcastle. They've got uh, past the challenge of uh, Liverpool as well. And of course, they still have to meet Arsenal at the Etihad, uh, I think it was later this month. Yeah, it's been an intriguing battle and hopefully it continues right till the end of the season. I think... Arsenal maybe will be done a favour by by going out of the Europa League. I'm sure they won't see it that way, but that might actually just drive them on to, to focus on one thing, and, and that's to try and win the league at this stage. And um, I've been impressed with how they have just managed games. You know, obviously they've they lost key players, like lost Jesus for a long time, and um, I think people felt that might be the stumbling block for them, but they've managed that period really, really well. And Ketia came in, scored a lot of goals. Trossard's obviously been a, a good addition. He's sort of featured up front, he's featured on the left, he's he's proved useful and and now with Jesus back and back on the score sheet and an impressive performance at the weekend. I think they're looking really, really strong. And I think they probably will go on and and, and do it and, and win the league just because they ha- you know, anytime they've stumbled, they've bounced straight back. And um, you know, City haven't been absolutely flawless, although they were very, very good at the weekend. And with them battling on three fronts, it, it might maybe just slow them up slightly. But yeah, as I said, hopefully it continues right to the death because it's been a, a really intriguing battle between the two of them so far. Yeah, how this young Arsenal team deal with uh, the cauldron of Anfield, even with Liverpool not in the best of form, that's going to be quite interesting to see. I suppose, Graham, from the Liverpool point of view, um, of course, it was a it was a heavy defeat and it does hit their top four hopes. And But then again, they're, they're playing Chelsea, who don't have a manager um, in the middle of this week. And it's, again, it's going to be a very, very intriguing game between two teams that are just cast adrift a little bit. Yeah, and Chelsea's probably seemed to play their best that- straight away after they lose a manager really I think that they're becoming that used to it um, at this stage but yeah Liverpool are, they're strange in that they, they obviously can't press with the with the 
presence and the pressure that they did before. They're, they're not able to get to the ball. The back line is exposed uh, because the midfield is maybe hasn't got the legs to run with people. So that you could see City, some of City's build-up play was it was really good and um, walked the ball really, really well just to move Liverpool's three midfielders around Henderson, Fabinho and, and Elliot. And he just couldn't get to them then. Um, Gakpo, who has been brilliant and was excellent against Man United, maybe just lacks a little bit of intensity in his press at the moment. And that takes a while. That takes a while. Like, it took a long time for... Klopp to get it out of Salah, Mane and, and uh, Firmino. So it's going to take a little while to get it into these lads as well, if that's the route he wants to go down. But there is a bit of a rebuild and I do think it's the glaring, it's the glaring obvious one in front of you. They do need legs in midfield to be able to run and match teams that if and when the press doesn't work, can they get across the pitch? But um, Chelsea aren't much better at the moment. The goals they conceded against Villa were, were really poor, especially the first one, lack of communication. Defender comes in to head it when the defender behind him probably has could actually take it down and play. Um, and then Villa scored another one from just a uh, cut back from the edge of the box and McGinn finishes the true bodies. So um they they've no manager, they probably have about 30 players now. Some of them are happy that the manager's gone. Uh I always felt that they never really offloaded players at the time when Potter came in. So when you imagine that you have a squad of maybe 30 players that can all be available to play with what Chelsea have, mate, two thirds of them are going to be unhappy that they don't play and that's not healthy for a football club. So that's where they do need to move players on and maybe trim down the squad a little bit to make sure that everybody feels included and involved. And it, like they just never really bought into what Grant Porter was doing, even though Chelsea gave him enough time and brought in all his staff. Um, but you know, it's a, it was a tough gig because I thought he'd done a great job at Brighton and changed the way they played as well. But um, the players, I don't think, maybe bought into what he was trying to do or maybe he didn't have that presence around them. It's the reports you hear, but makes for an interesting game between Chelsea and Liverpool. It's not the way it was 10 years ago, but it'd still be a good game. Yeah, and David, I suppose, on, just on Graham Potter, I mean, he was brought in as a sort of long-term project. Obviously, it's only lasted um, six months, but uh, the squad that has been built is also built for the longer term. So it do, it feels a little incongruous, even despite the the poor results and what Graham kind of mentioned there, that maybe there's a disconnect between the players and him. But, you know, could they have not maybe tried to see this out um, over the longer term, given it is supposed to be a longer term project and not supposed to be this, uh, you know, this quick turnaround? Yeah, I think, I, th- I think to be honest, they probably did try. I think it was... Abramovich still in charge. I don't think Potter would have lasted anywhere near as long. Um, but it's a difficult one. Like they, they, they've obviously brought in so many players, and uh, Graham's right. There'll be unhappiness in the squad when you're leaving out so many big names. But I think whoever comes in needs to be a big character, needs to be able to manage a big squad full of, you know, internationals and, and top top players, and he has to be able to manage people that are probably manage more of the people that are out of the team than those that are in it. Um, I think that needs to be somebody that that the players will admire and will will respect. And um, maybe Potter just didn't quite manage that right. And but it's a difficult one. It, obviously, the results were just they were just so bad. And he, you know, while Klopp's results are bad, he's he's definitely earned enough time to to, to rework that squad and and get a chance to to build on it again. Um, Potter just didn't have that in the bank, I think. And ultimately, when you're Chelsea and you're spending that much money, you have to get results and. And they look destined to miss out in the top four this year, but they, they can't afford to do that year on year with the squad that they have. 
Yeah, and Manchester United, who looked like they were very much on course for a top four. They've so, they started to stumble a little bit, but Graham, I suppose, um, one of the notable aspects of that 2-0 defeat to Newcastle yesterday and what has been a trend in some of their games at the start of this year, it's whenever Casemiro is unavailable, and usually it's been through suspension um, this season, they are vulnerable, especially in the, in where he occupies uh, yeah. positions in the centre of the pitch. Um, there's a staff from Jonathan Wilson in The Guardian this morning where he said that uh, Manchester United are two, time, or two, point, or two and a half times more likely to lose uh, a match when Casemiro is out, and it seems to be bearing fruit. Yeah, I think we we touched on it probably about a year and a half ago on this is that that control in midfield that, that gives them um that controls the tempo of their play, that you know, gets the good players onto the ball as early as they can, but protects the back line. And then you know you go and get one and it changes them. So sometimes when people are pointing out the obvious, it happens and Casemiro was one of those that like the seven 0 defeat at Anfield he was playing in. Um so and he wasn't great in it, but then the next game, obviously, losing to Newcastle. I think Newcastle were probably a bit on a revenge mission from losing the League Cup final. But Newcastle were better than them. Newcastle ran over them. Newcastle had more about them. They were uh, did more energy, did more pressure in the game. They were much more enthusiastic about the game as well. Um, and, and ultimately, they deserve to win. But it's worrying for United when he's not there because I don't think they have anyone that even controls Bruno Fernandes and you know, puts him and moves him into positions that he's more effective as well. Because when United start losing, I think he, he loses his shape and his discipline a bit and affects other players in the team. Then they don't know what position to take up off of uh, Fernandez. But Casemiro seems to have that control and influence on a lot of them. Uh, so, yeah, it's a big miss, but it's a great win for Newcastle, obviously. Yeah, and that's almost it for this week's podcast. Remember, Ireland against USA and Austin will be live on RT2 and the RT Player this Saturday with coverage underway at 7 o'clock. Um, speaking of Austin, we have an interview on YouTube, RT.ie, and our podcast channels with John Gallagher of Austin FC, the MLS club. He's been in brilliant form this season in the MLS, scoring three goals from his position as a fullback. So I was chatting to him early last week and uh, obviously we put it out on Sunday. But uh, here's John Gallagher speaking about his goals for Austin this season. Obviously, you've carved your name into the club's history as well. With the... So you scored the first goal at the at what is the new stadium, the Q2 stadium against Portland. So uh, what was that like? Oh, it was amazing. We had, we actually hadn't scored the first two home matches. So it was like the pressure was building um, and you could feel it in the building. So once once the ball went in the back of the net, the place just erupted. And um, yeah, it's just, it's nice to know that you've had that impact on the community, the amount of people that come up and say, you know, I was there the night that you got, you scored the first goal. Um, so that's, that's really cool for me to see that, you know, I've at least left my my print on the club in that in that sense yeah and you've been leaving a print uh, on the club this season in terms of adding goals from your position as well so i wanted to mention the uh so you you got the uh the goal of the week for the mls back in uh, i think it's the third week of the season so um earlier this month and uh it's against uh, real salt lake and um, you might talk me through it actually my favorite part of it obviously and i think it's for those who maybe watch tony Yavo in the premier league anything that hits a crossbar and goes in there's like an added oomph to it yeah yeah no, it was, um, I'd kind of dribbled my way into pressure and <laughs> didn't have any options. So I thought I'll take it, I'll take a crack at it. And it was on my, my left foot as well. So my weaker side, but I, I struck it nicely. And, um, as I was kind of like wheeling off, I said, oh, this has a chance of going in and I hit the bar and went down. So obviously it makes it look a bit sweeter. So yeah. Nice. 
Yeah, and the, the thing of adding goals to your game, obviously you, you scored again then against Colorado just the weekend, uh, just gone, albeit there was a VAR review first, so you probably had to hold the yeah. celebration in for, <laughs> for a little while. But yeah. um, is that like is that something that with it, between yourself and your coaches, it's something you're, you've just been looking to add to your game and now the fruits are coming? Yeah, maybe. Um, I played a lot on the left last year at left back just due to um, availability that we had. and. Um, this year, I've kind of transitioned more into right back role, so my stronger, more dominant sides, and yeah, I, just, I don't really know what's what's been happening. I've just been finding myself in good spots, and you know, the coaches never put expectations on me to be chipping in goals. Obviously, they you know they like assists from from the wide areas, um, but yeah, I've just found myself in some good spots, and maybe because I've had experience as a winger, I have a bit more calmness in, in front of goal. Um, I'd like to think maybe, but um, who knows? Hopefully it continues. But as I said, you know, to, to the fans and the media, don't expect me to be scoring 15, 20 goals as a fullback. You can read, watch, or listen to that in all of the above places. So rt.ie, Spotify, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, and also uh, YouTube as well. But uh, that's it for this week's podcast. Graham and David, thanks a million for taking the time. No problem. Thanks, Ralph.